Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we want to answer the question, how should Christians think? How should Christians think? And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. In today's society, as we look all around us, uh, whether in our own families, whether uh, in our own institutions, uh, whether uh, in our office and break rooms and grocery store, uh, wherever we we find ourselves, uh, it's important to realize that people have different worldviews. And these worldviews are basically the lens by which we look at the world. What is your views on finances? What's your views on relationships, whether it be romantic or familial? Uh, What's your views on uh, conflict resolution? What's your views on investment? What's your views on prayer? What's your views on immortality? Uh, What's your views on the individuals that you vote and elect to offices? What's your views on worship? What's your view on ministry? So whatever life presents and put on our plate, we have to respond to it, but there is an issue. The issue is How should I respond to it? Should I respond to it the way that I've always responded to it before I met Jesus? Or do I respond to it based on the way that I think this situation should be handled? Uh, It's also noteworthy that we should factor in individuals who've grown up in the church and have always heard about Jesus and basically leaned on perhaps their parents' faith or their grandmother's faith or grandfather's faith 
uh, to feel a sense of belonging, and that's a whole nother segment, but uh, it's possible to grow up in the church and not have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. It's possible to be religious and not have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. But this segment is not, um, our primary focus is not on evangelism and discipleship, but rather on those of us who claim to know Jesus, who claim to love the Lord, who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's uh, uh, that's what that word means, uh, disciple, which means student. And as a student, we avail ourselves to learn God's ways, to learn more about God, to, dis, uh, to discern uh, what he wants from us versus what he does not want from us. So once we say yes, Lord, once we say yes to Jesus Christ, he has some parameters for us. And those parameters are what we call Christian ethics, right? Ethics deals with what ought to be done not necessarily what's being done. The world does whatever the flesh tells them to do. And the world reacts and conduct themselves as an extension of where their heart is. And we see it all through our daily walk. Uh, they are those uh, in the world that are living after the lust of the flesh. The uh, Bible tells us the love of money is the root of all evil, and they love their money. Bible tells us about fornication, and they love to fornicate. Bible tells us about uh, not lying and being truthful, not being deceitful, and the world is full of deceitful uh, people who have no problems with telling lies, and we've gotten so sophisticated in the world that uh, they no longer want to say they're lying. They, they, they want to say that they just told a white lie. But this should not be the case with believers. God has a standard for us to live. And that standard is part of our holy walk. It's part of our uh, sanctification. Uh, We do not conduct ourselves like those in the world who are influenced and who um, who are subjugated to a relentless pursuit of the flesh. And this was the case uh, even in Mars Hill when we talk about the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicurus uh, followers, uh, they wanted to please the flesh, uh, appeal, uh, appealing or um, loving the flesh and pursuing the lust of the flesh was their priority, meaning that I had to be happy at all costs. This is not new. All, all these new movements uh, that talks about uh, do you and be yourself and uh, my truth. Uh, that is part of the Epicurean philosophy. It is the, uh, the flesh and the enjoyment of the flesh above all else. But for the Christian, we don't have that luxury. We have a greater calling. We have a master who loves us and he's not willing for us to live according to the lust of the flesh. He's not willing for us to destroy ourselves and our families and our communities and the family structure just because we want to please the flesh. So how should Christians think? 
We ought to think the way that Jesus thinks. And I love the passage that says, uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but uh, humbled himself um, and, and, and served us even unto death. And I'm paraphrasing uh, from Philippians. But that's what we ought to do. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, meaning that whatever Jesus taught us, as it relates to how we should think, that's what we need to pursue as Christians. And, and, and Paul unpacks it in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, uh, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's going to be any virtue, if there's going to be any praise, think on these things. So we have to think with truth as the foundation. And why am I saying that? I'm saying that because in John 14 and 6, Jesus himself said he's the standard of truth. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. And if we want to know the will of the Father, let's follow the mandates, the statutes that Jesus has given us. If we want to know what the will of God is, Emulate the things that Jesus did. Follow the things that Jesus has taught us. Even in this society, even in this society, we must stand on the truth, which is Jesus the Christ. So if we're going to think like Jesus did, we need to first know what truth is. What does truth look like? What does divine truth look like? Perhaps you're dealing with uh, bills and your finances is out of, out of uh, kilter. And uh, you're dealing with uh, hardship as it relates to paying your mortgage and paying your rent. And as it relates to uh, paying off your loans and you, you're not able to save. Uh, perhaps things are out of order. Well, God has the truth serum or the recipe for handling your finances. We, many of us are out of control when it comes to our finances. Uh, we, we, we have spent more than we make. We have put out more than we bring in. So uh, it's important that we follow the script that God himself has given us as it relates to finances. Um, giving God what belongs to him, giving Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but at the, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we are in control of our finances. That's a Christian or biblical way to think. So how should we think as Christians? So let's evaluate this truth concept. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Truth is truth, whether you have immediate evidence to support it or not. Truth is truth, whether we have immediate evidence to support it or not. There are those in our culture who demand immediate um, scientific objective evidence. They want you to prove to them uh, that there is a spirit, that there is a soul, that miracles exist that there's life beyond death. They, they always put the burden on us to prove that these things exist, that prayer is real and authentic, but we can't believe in prayer because we can't test it. That's the argument. But my question is, why do we as Christians always have to come up with the answer? When you make an allegation, the burden of proof is on you. Why is it always up to us to prove that the Bible is trustworthy? Why is it always up to us to prove that the New Testament manuscripts are reliable? Why is it up to us, up to, us to prove that God exists? We can turn the table and ask those accusers the same question. Where is your evidence that God does not exist? Where is your evidence that prayer doesn't exist and it doesn't work? Where is your evidence that Jesus did not rise up on the third day? So just as much as they have a right to ask us questions, we also have a right to ask them questions. So truth is truth, whether you have immediate evidence to support it or not. Let me give you an example. For many years, uh, skeptics denied the existence of uh, the city of Nineveh. But some years later, a biblical archaeologist discovered the whole city, thus shutting up the skeptics. So just because we don't have immediate evidence to support something doesn't mean it's not true. Then there are those who have been falsely accused and because they didn't have the finances to hire a top shelf lawyer, they wind up losing their case even though they, uh, they've always um, argued that they were innocent because they didn't have right representation. They wind up in jail, still professing their innocence only, uh, some years later to have, um, those who are competent lawyers who knew wh what they were doing to come around with new evidence to buttress the case of the inmate, meaning that they found evidence later on to corroborate what the, um, inmate was saying, and thus, eventually, uh, they had to be vindicated and let go. What am I saying? I'm saying when they first were accused, I'm talking about the inmate, what they said was true, even though they didn't have immediate evidence to support it. Just because you don't have immediate evidence to support something doesn't mean that what that those individuals are saying is not true. So just because you're a Christian and you're living for Jesus and, and people accuse you 
of of uh, whatever uh, you having difficulties and um, you losing your job and and uh, you not being healed physically from your ailment doesn't mean that God is not all sufficient. It doesn't mean that he's not Jehovah Jireh. And just because you don't have the evidence that they're looking for doesn't mean that uh, what you're experiencing and who you know is not legitimate. So something can still be true even if you don't have immediate evidence to support it. Because one day, one day, uh, God will reveal um, the things that nobody can deny. It says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess whether in heaven or earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then the the second thing about uh, the truth, if we're going to think Christian, we have to know what this truth is. Number one was uh, something is still true or can be true, whether you have immediate evidence to support it or not. Number two, truth is not created but revealed. Truth is not created but revealed. So truth came out of the nature of God, and it was deposited here when God created the universe. And truth came along with it. So we don't have the authority to try to redefine truth because God has already given us truth. We don't have the authority to try to restructure truth because God has given us the truth already. We don't have the authority to uh, reclassify truth because God has given us the parameters of truth already. So what the world is doing is the world is fighting against truth. The world is suppressing the truth that God has already given us. The world is trying to eradicate truth. This is why in this country they were so happy when they got rid of prayer. But ask yourself this objectively. Are we better now than before when we were allowed to have a public demonstration of prayer? Think about it. Think about how far we've come and the state of our society. You don't have to be a Christian to admit that things are a lot worse. When we look at all of the statistics, when we look at all of the case studies, things are a lot worse than they were before. But for the Christian, we know the truth. We know who we serve and we know our parameters. We don't live like the world. Truth is not created but revealed. Einstein, uh, as he talks about uh, uh, the theory of relativity, he realized that he did not create the theory of, uh, theory of relativity. He discovered the theory of relativity. Newton did not create gravity. He discovered gravity because God had already put the laws of science here. In the same way, when it comes to morality, when it comes to um, uh, uh, the the, uh, metaphysics, when it comes to the physical world as well, when it comes to truth, God is not looking for help. God is not asking humanity to create truth. God is not asking for us to redefine truth. Truth was already here before we were even born. So when God talks about masculinity, when God talks about the role of the man, um, he's already set the parameters of what a man is, what a man should look like, the function of a man, uh, and his duties and his expectations. Same thing for the ladies. Uh, God has already 
uh, defined the parameters of what a woman is. He's defined the parameters of what a woman uh, should look like and um, how uh, women should conduct themselves and how virtuous they are. Um, and, and God has already prescribed these things for us, uh, how children should um, conduct themselves with their parents and how parents should conduct themselves as they uh, uh, grow up these children. God has already given us the manuscript and the instructions, the manual for how we ought to live. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to Christians. We should not um, say to ourselves as Christians, I'm trying to find myself. No, as a Christian, God has already prescribed to you what he wants you to do and look like. So at the most, we should be pursuing to look like Jesus. But what does that look like in our society? That means that every day we're reading the word, we're studying God's word, we are applying God's word, we are obeying God's word. And while we're reading and studying and praying and meditating and functioning in ministry, the Holy Spirit is revealing to us how we should look how we should behave, the parameters, how far we can go, um, who we should include as friends, who we should deal with. God has already laid out the functions and the recipe for, uh, for prosperity, not financial prosperity necessarily, but prosperity in terms of your conduct, in terms of lo- knowing how to love, knowing how to forgive, knowing how to intercede, knowing how to be a peacemaker. Um, we, we can prosper in those areas. And so God has a recipe for Christian conduct and Christian living. Then the third thing, as it relates to the nature of truth, truth is still truth whether or not the majority support it, whether or not the majority uh, support it. We can't base our belief system on popularity just because the majority of people embrace something doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or true. Our standard or our criteria for embracing something is found and rooted in Jesus the Christ. He is the foundation. He is the foundation. So Christian ethics are based on God's will. Christian ethics are absolute. Christian ethics are based on God's revelation. So since moral rightness is prescribed by a moral God, we say it is prescriptive, meaning that it's binding upon all men and women to follow these rules, these rules that come from the divine writ, which we call the Bible. So Christians do not find their ethical duties in the standard of Christians, but in the standard for Christians. Let me say that again. Uh, Christians do not find their ethical duties in the standard of Christians, but in the standard for Christians. So in short, we must learn how to develop an ethical standard. If we're going to think like uh, Christians, if if we're going to behave like uh, students of Jesus Christ, we have to develop an ethical standard, not based on feelings or the standards of the world. Our ethics must stem from God's word. So despite variances in the methodology, uh, method, methodologies to discover what is right and wrong, the key is to satisfy God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are just some things in this life 
uh, that we have to deal with, but we can only deal with it effectively if we know what the Bible says. And some things have to be um, have to be ushered in by utilizing uh, the law of logic that we call the law of logical inference. And uh, we don't have time to really unpack that. But we're, what we're basically saying is there are new terms that this society is using. And oftentimes skeptics would say, well, where in the Bible does it say that uh, you can't euthanize anyone? Well, just because you're using the term you, uh, euthanize and euthanasia doesn't mean there isn't a biblical precedent. We may use different terms, but the principle is eternal. It doesn't matter what age we're in. The Bible, the uh, biblical principles of the Bible still apply to each one of us. It's a binding, binding upon each one of us. So just because you've come up with this term mercy killing doesn't mean that it's not murder. The Bible tells us thou should not murder. Now, whether it's passive euthanasia or aggressive euthanasia, it's still the same thing. Passive euthanasia is where you withhold services um, or um, the help that a person needs in order to survive. So you're no longer going to give them the drugs. You're no longer going to uh, give them any more food because you deem their life worthless because of the condition they're in. That's passive euthanasia. Then aggressive euthanasia is what uh, Dr. Kevorkian was involved in, which is I'm going to uh, aggressively give this patient something to compromise their life. That's you being aggressive, meaning that you're taking part aggressively in making sure this person dies. So either one is murder. Now, we as Christians... We have to deliberate and, and consider all these things, but we first must know what God is saying through the Bible before we can make uh, small life decisions as well as uh, big life decisions. So I pray uh, this episode has tickled your ear to the point where you're willing to look at the scripture to see what God says about everything in life that you have questions about. So Continue to pray for our ministry as we uh, train Christians in sound doctrine. As always, we need your support. If you're listening to us, please become a monthly supporter of Sound Reasoning Ministries. And remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. And as always, we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of... 
I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Mm-hmm.